Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. Hello there, welcome to the David McWilliams podcast. As always, I'm joined by my old mate, John Davis, to tease out economics, to look at it from a different angle, but also to make economics accessible, to make it less complicated, less complex, and really make it comprehensible to everybody. Now this week, we're going to look at Brexit, but I'm going to take it from a totally different angle. The attitude is, everybody is saying Brexit will be bad for Ireland. But there is an argument to say Brexit could be very good for Ireland. There could be a Brexit dividend if we are ready. And by that I mean if the United Kingdom goes off on its own way and if the United Kingdom begins to break up, which I think is quite likely over the course of the next five or ten years, there will be a massive inflow of capital and people, talented people, to Ireland because this capital and talented people will get nervous in the UK. And let's look at, are we ready? What do we have to fix in order to be ready for that? And therefore look at Brexit as really a rallying call for us in Ireland to get our house in order. If you enjoy the content and you'd like to support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You can unlock a variety of exclusive content, including extra episodes, behind-the-scenes content, Q&As, and for the next couple of weeks, exclusive tickets for two sold-out amazing events at the Dorky Book Festival. The first one is a conversation between myself and the extraordinary Jared Diamond. Now, Jared Diamond has been called the master storyteller of the human race. I've been looking forward to talking to him for years and years, and it's going to be on Monday the 27th in the Mansion House at 7pm. There's two tickets to be won on Patreon. And this is a real gem. You've got the opportunity now to a gig that was sold out after a minute of it going on sale with a brilliant Stephen Fry and the man who, by designing three of the most iconic products of our age, the iPod, the iPad and the iPhone, has changed your world possibly more than anybody else alive. Johnny Ive, the chief designer of Apple. 
The gig is on Saturday, the 15th of June, in the Seafront Marquee at Dorky. The tickets have been sold out, but you got the chance to win two if you join the gang here at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And you can get all of this, the content, the tickets, the Q&A, all for the price of a pint. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Mac, we're inundated with Brexit stuff. What's your angle on it? Talk me through your angle on Brexit. Well, the funny thing is I've become a kind of a Brexit junkie. I can't really control myself. I feel myself an urge to watch Newsnight, to watch the news, listen to the radio, to go online. And I'm becoming totally terrorised by all the news and who said what, when, etc. And what I want to do is I want to stand back and think, what's actually really important? What is really going on? And for me, when you stand back a little bit, from the daily noise of the news, and you try to figure out what's the noise and what's the signal. The signal, it seems to me, the big, big question is not whether or not Britain leaves the European Union and what happens then, but what happens when Britain leaves itself? And by this I mean what happens if Britain breaks up under the strain of Brexit? And then say, okay, But rather than exploring the political implications of that, explore the economic implications. Are we ready for the dividend that we might get as a result of the fracture of Britain when people and capital leave Britain because they're scared? And then where does that capital go? Where do those people go? And I'm not talking about the mass migration of refugees. I'm talking about talented foreigners who like to work in our commercial world. They could come here. Are we prepared for them? What are we offering them? We're offering them place to do business, a reasonably liberal country, a tolerant place, sane place in comparison to England. But what's unattractive is land. What makes Ireland really unattractive is the fact that land prices are so high and that so much of the economic effort of this country goes to landowners and what I would call a drone class who sit and just take rent. You talked about the kind of feudal society, but but yeah. th- this, is, this is really interesting, Max. So let's let's dig into this. Let's unpack well, this, as they say. Let's unpack it. If you're an American, you've got to start everything with, so <laughs> let's unpack this. <laughs> However, we have this very strange system in Ireland where we have feudalism side by side with an incredibly modern country. Feudalism meaning that we still reward land, which is the least productive asset in the world, ridiculously well. And as a result of that, we punish creativity and knowledge. And we don't reward knowledge and creativity as well as land. So why is that? So you think, for example, you know, you hear people saying, oh, Ireland should become the Singapore of Europe. 85% of the land in Singapore is owned by the government. So they stop people speculating. How did that happen? They just, well, again, Singapore, if you think of what happened, Singapore was a small little insect infested island off the arse end of Malaysia. And they did a deal with the Brits. The Chinese people did a deal with the Brits to remain this trading state. And then the Brits gave them a swamp and gradually they have cultivated that swamp. They drained the swamp. They drained the swamp, to use the uh, <laughs> the great one's analogy, over years. But the state said, we're going to own the state land. always owned the owns land. Owns the land. See, that, that, but that's what's completely different. Owns everything. Different. Owns yeah. everything. 
It's so completely no f- different to here. We're not in that position. To and you don't what you don't want is the state to say, you know what, we're going to go down the Altrosky route and requisition the yeah. land off everyone. Yeah. So you want to find how do you gently change things here so that in twenty years' time things are different, but you've got to change them in twenty days' time. You've got to change it now to reap the reward later on. And that's what the article's about, is changing our feudal mentality to allow us to garner the dividend that Brexit will give us if we're clever. What do you think of this idea that I was writing about in the papers? Yeah, I thought it was extraordinary that, you know, even to consider how the UK might go the way of Yugoslavia, that was a little bit alarming, I have to say. Well, and how probable is that? Well, like, I, I decided to think about it. Like nobody imagined that Yugoslavia would break apart as it did, okay? and so quickly, so quickly it broke apart over over eight or nine months. Okay, and if you look at the way Yugoslavia, think about Britain. So you've got a hyper dominant England, then you have a an old culture, Scotland, an old, old, old culture, very independent, driven, sort of a totally different view of itself. Then you have Wales, which is slightly more proximate to England, not in any cultural way, but we see in Brexit in a political way. So the Welsh, I mean, if Taffers are listening to this, they go mental, but I'm just saying in a political <laughs> way, they voted like Brexit. And then, of course, you've got Northern Ireland. Yeah. So the Yugoslav equivalent is England is Serbia, the dominant, big country that has always been a little bit more muscular. Croatia is Scotland, the smaller but actually physically and emotionally very old culture. Wales is a little bit more like Montenegro, which eventually ended up siding with Serbia in the collapse. And of course, I don't want to say it too loudly, but Bosnia is Northern Ireland. Ethnically totally divided. Right. Religiously totally divided with populations that have been at their throats for each other and these kind of strange settlements and strange stalemates. So I thought of that. I mean, the article, I threw it out there to try and get people to think that countries do collapse. You know, federations do break up and ultimately take out the violence, okay? Because Britain will not descend into violence because what happened in in Yugoslavia is the Yugoslavian army sided with the Serbs and the Yugoslavian army therefore became the battering ram of Serb nationalism. They first attacked, uh, well, they attacked Croatia at the end, but they first attacked uh, Slovenia in the north yeah. And then the Serbs realised, like, we've nothing to do with these people, right? But they attacked Croatia because they didn't like them. Croatia was a counterbalance. And then they attacked Bosnia. Sorry, this might be my lack of knowledge here, but the Yugoslav army surely contained was, some Croatians. It was made up of everyone. Yeah. It was made up of everyone. But the top brass sided with Milosevic. And they said, we are an army that is going to protect Yugoslavia. Yeah. But the problem was protecting Yugoslavia meant going in to stamp out nationalist uprisings and movements in Croatia and in Slovenia, okay? So what happened was the Croats were unarmed and then they decided to arm. The Germans supported the Croats, which was a big deal for them. And the Croats imported arms from all over the world, paid for largely by the American, Croatian an Australian-Croatian diaspora. It's quite interesting. Is there, quite a, is there a lot? Massive, massive, massive. Really? In fact, people argue that the Toronto Croats versus the Serbs in soccer 
and Melbourne and Sydney Croats versus the Serve were the first taster in the mid eighties wow. of this, this this hatred. Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And if you look, if you go in Canada, for example, Toronto has a very large Serb population and a smaller Croat population, but they couldn't stand each other expressed in football. Yeah. And yet when they it was a bit like us and Brits for in Spain, we hang out to each other. With yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. But we decide to it's what you know Freud called the narcissism of small differences. <laughs> you know, when your differences yeah, yeah, are yeah. small, you elevate them. Anyway. So, but I don't know, how, how would this <clears throat> play out the, in, in the, the UK then? Well, I, like, I think the logical consequence of Brexit is that the Scots go independent. Mm. Okay, that Scotland eventually says, we had enough of this. We want to be in Europe. The European Union has quite mischievously kept Scottish and independent Scotland as an immediate member of the EU on the table. So it gives cover to the SNP. Right. I was say, just thinking that if, if Brexit is difficult, Jesus, a divorce between Scotland and, and England is going to be a disaster. Yeah, but this is this is the Pandora's box that has been unveiled with Brexit. Because yeah. if you think about Britain, like Britain was a project to pretend that English nationalism didn't exist. It was like it was cover for English nationalism. Yeah. It's English nationalism drives most of the empires. English nationalism. Go back to Cromwell, go pre, pre that. It's English nationalism that was the project of the Tudors, even though they were Welsh, which is kind of funny. But the Tudors and then the Stuarts, even though they were Scottish. It's really interesting. Yeah. The two biggest royal families before the Germans, Lizzie and her mates came in, right? Were actually, one was Scottish, one was Welsh. The Tudors were Welsh and the Stuarts were English. But their idea was to create an English nationalist project under this make yuppie umbrella of Britain. Yeah. And that lasted for 400 years and now it's fallen apart. So everything falls apart eventually. It was so, bound to fall apart. Bound to fall apart and Brexit accelerated the whole thing. You know, it was gelled yeah. together by empire. Then the Second World War gave it a shot in the arm, which was a pretty heroic performance from the English and yeah. the Brits. And it's been kind of in decline then. And even Tony Blair's movements in the 1990s to give a parliament in, in, in Scotland, a parliament in Wales and a parliament in Northern Ireland. It's all part of, let's loosen this federation, mm. but let's keep it all together. What Brexit has done is that in the, to the extent that Blair had a good idea, how do we loosen the federation to respect nationalism, but let's not get too nationalist. Farage and the Brexiters have actually accelerated and yeah. changed the angle. So I think the logical conclusion is you get a an English nationalist faction amongst the Tory party. The Scots go independence, like the Croats. The Welsh behave like the Montenegrins, is that they don't want to separate from the English. They don't really like them. So the Montenegrins and the Serbs stuck together through the whole breakup of the mm. Yugoslavia. And for us, the big worry is that if you take the Yugoslavian example, <clears throat> even in a peaceful way, Northern Ireland looks like Bosnia. It's yeah. ethnically right split down the middle. So in, in Bosnia, you had three big populations. You had the Croats around Mostar. Yeah. Okay. You had the Muslims everywhere. And you had the Serbs also everywhere. And... Uh, so is Farage or Milosevic then? Well, that could be a bit too extreme. <laughs> it's a bit too... But you can see... And the, the interesting thing is, so other countries have split up peacefully. Yugoslavia split up disastrously because of a lack of political leadership. Right. That's what worries me. In England, you see the shenanigans now in the parliament. There's no real leader coming through. There's no individual to say, as you'd say in football, stand the ball, don't be losing your head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Give it to me, give it to me, and I'll sort it out. Like the Jan Molby, 
This is references that you don't get. This is old Liverpool references right, yeah, from the yeah. 80s. I still but remember Steve Highway. That's Steve, well, Steve Highway was a good man for actually taking the ball into control and then whipping in. Do you know Steve Highway? Do you know, we have, you know the way Ireland has for years and years played people whose grannies were Irish? Yeah. Our dads were Irish. Our Those Jackie Charlton's kind yeah. of. Steve High was the opposite. Steve High was pure English. And his dad was sent over here to work in the 1960s. Really? Yeah. And, that, and he became an Irish soccer player. He's the only Irish soccer player. Did he become a citizen his... then? He must yeah, have. He's uh, without a drop of Irish blood. The second was, of course, Tony Coscarino, who pretended he was Irish. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. rumbled by Andy Townsend. <laughs> That's brilliant. But anyway, so some countries. Yeah, like Czechoslovakia. So, so that, that was that's a, a very interesting one. So the, you have this thing that was called the Velvet Divorce. Czechoslovakia, two distinct states, but not that distinct. Uh, the Czechs and the Slovaks, okay? Common language, deep common culture, extraordinary history going back all the way to the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Actually, very interesting. You see a... a it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bizarrely, a part of the Reformation happens in the Czech Republic. Slovaks are Catholics, but apart from they're getting on with each other quite mm. well. They have a velvet divorce. They have exactly the same thing as what happened in Yugoslavia. The Slovaks said, we want to go off and around. The Czechs said, okay, fair enough. But they had Václav Havel. Do you remember him? Yeah, I do. He was remember the, the name. He was the president. Yeah. So they had political leadership. They had one individual who could actually, kind of Mandela-esque, Gandhi-esque, say, okay, guys, you want to do this? Cool. Let's be civilized about it. Yeah. Uh, I know you guys are getting up on your high horse. I'll come over and talk to you. And they had an extraordinary divorce that was totally peaceful. And now both countries are, are fine. And nobody now has any sense that they were together outside of the country. So, you know, countries do split up. The other, the other interesting thing is, is Quebec, you know, that, that Scotland could come, like Quebec is in Canada. Like, 
pretty autonomous yeah. province, ethnically totally different, linguistically totally differently, socially and, and culturally totally different, but within Canada. But I'm not sure the Scots will go for that. I yeah. think they want the full deal. I think the leadership question is interesting, just looking in on, on English politics, British politics, and how the parties are now splitting right down the middle. And, you know, and there's lots of infighting. Uh, so no longer they're going to be the the Tory Labour, the usual yep, kind of the usual split. And You know, they're splitting now themselves. And then on a social level, there's this, appears to be this rise in crime and rise in racism is becoming a little bit more explicit. It was always there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there Brexit really has is. given rise to all of that, but, you know, it's just stirring the pot even more. Do you know what's interesting in racism? The really, really good litmus test for racism is football terraces. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And recently, Danny Rose, who's yeah. a black fullback from Tottenham, I think in the last couple of days, Danny Rose said, I can't wait to that's, finish that's playing right, football yeah. because I'm getting racially abused. That's new. Yeah. That did not happen. Raheem recently. Sterling was another Raheem one. Stur- was going, yeah. yeah, and Raheem Sterling, I think, I think probably got it in the neck a bit from the media. And a lot of black English mates of mine, a couple I've spoken to, have said that they just didn't like Raheem Sterling because he was black. Now, when I lived in England, very few Afro-Caribbeans who were the basic black English Jamaicans yeah. would have ever said that to me. Yeah. You know, that they... So my sense is that, look, you have something like Brexit. It allows all these things to come. It gives permission for people like Tommy Robinson to stand outside the parliament and rant and rave. But if we come back, all this means for Ireland economically that Britain is going to go through a period of instability like we've never really experienced before. And what does that mean for Ireland? A lot of people are focusing on the border, and rightly so. And But I decided this week, there's a lot of talk about that. Let me take another angle. And the angle is the following, is that Ireland, the economy here, has become really a small cog in this global supply chain, right? So we're really, you know, the, multi, the multinationals, our manufacturing industry is international. Our future is not as a national economy. Our future is part of a bigger yeah. economy because small countries have always needed to trade with everybody else because you could never get rich just trading with yourselves so we've got to keep open mm. and my sense is that a lot of capital and knowledge and talent that would have been in the UK is going to come here because investment decisions are going to be taken in boardrooms around the world saying okay we want to go to Europe we want an English speaking kind of culturally I'm talking about Americans in the main mm. culturally proximate place to us we want stability, we want no madness, we want no crazy nationalists, you know, all that sort of stuff. Let's go to Ireland. Why wouldn't they go to Denmark? Because they speak English, you know. They I mean, do, well, you they, know, they, do the English, they don't. The English language thing is less of an issue these days, surely. Well, that's a very good point. And I think it's probably fair to say that English-speaking kids now are at a disadvantage because most non-English-speaking kids are bilingual. Yeah. But the interesting thing is the Danes, the Danes don't want them. This is an interesting thing. Why? The Denmark is a really fascinating country for a variety of reasons, but the main one is it has hundreds of thousands of small companies. Ireland has almost no small companies. We have outsourced our industrialization to multinationals, mm. right? In the 1970s, we had none, and it just seemed that we were too far behind the curve. You know, sometimes it's rational 
to think, you know what, I can't play in this game. We cannot create our own companies. So what we said was to the Yanks, come on in, give us a capital base. Yeah. The Danes, on the other hand, have been, we forget that Denmark was an empire. We started with Greenland. Denmark owned Greenland. Yes. You know, yeah, it's a yeah, big, yeah. important country. So the Danes, on the other hand, have always had a very deep manufacturing base. They don't particularly want multinationals. You know? That's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of, you cut your cloth, and we cut our cloth because we didn't have any yeah. multinational. We didn't have any capital. Or we had small amounts of capital, and we didn't have big industries, so to speak. The Danes have enormous industries. Is there a downside in that we are at the mercy then of the multinationals and the corporate world? Yeah, well, I'm, I believe that the multinationals have been very positive to us, yeah, for us, and will continue to be. Because I think whereas you, be, you, you do become overly reliant on one or two companies, and in the case of, for example, Limerick, when Dell collapsed, or Dell left, there was a massive yeah. collapse in manufacturing employment in Limerick around 2004 or five, a long time ago. But I think that we have set out to be this almost part of the United States in Europe in terms of corporate, the corporate uh, regime. And I can't see what we'd have done otherwise yeah. to generate the amount of jobs and capital and taxation. For sure, I mean, but so we, to date it's it been is, fine. It is, it is fragile, and we might come back to that in, in another episode. I think it's, 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 it's a very hot topic, and obviously the French want us to raise our taxes. Donald Trump says bring all the money back home, yeah. right? Yeah. Brexit is shining a light, and, and there's, a, there's a little fear that, you know, the Germans and the French are with us now, and they're being, oh, we won't let you down. For but, now. But there's always... They'll lean over and grab you by the bollocks and say, now that we helped you with the Brits, what about yeah. the tax, Paddy? Yeah. So this comes back to the notion of control. And I believe in the mindset sometimes of Irish policymakers or commentariat or whatever, there is a notion that uh, we can in some way be in control. I, I don't believe that's the case. I think we're so small that what we just have to do is facilitate other people's decisions. So I talk about a lot about right. soft power because we yeah. don't have control. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 it's very interesting. Countries like Israel, Israel was very much like Ireland in the 1990s, but they decided to go for their own technology industry, a bit more like the Danes, and not go down the route of bringing in American capital because mm. their view was, look, we can create this stuff ourselves, and then we own the value, and then we can sell the companies back to the Americans, which is what the Israelis have done in in a phenomenal way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we took the other route. Could we have taken the Israeli-Danish route? Maybe. But it's not been a bad performance. However, where I think we can really control things, and this is the point of the article on Saturday, is that what makes Ireland attractive is lots of things. The workforce, the tax rate, the geography, the fact that England's going a bit mad, the fact we've got access to the EU, etc. What makes us very unattractive is the very highest price of land. Ireland still enjoys being one of the least populated countries in Western Europe, and we have the highest land prices. Mm. And then once you have high land prices, which are entirely fabricated, entirely fictitious, entirely manufactured, then, of course, rents go up. When rents go up, wages have to go up because people have to, go to pay the rents, right? So the level of Irish prices has been pushed up by people who own land. And unless and until the state identifies this as our biggest problem 
unless and until the state makes land less easy and attractive to hoard, because land is a resource. Think about land, right? Mm. You can either use it or hoard it. You can't do anything else with it. Yeah, it's yeah. useless stuff. If you think like, so land prices in a modern economy should be falling relative to wages. Yeah. Think about that, because yeah. wages are the return to people's creativity, right? And if you decide that we're a creative, modern economy, then wages should be rising relative to land. But what's happening in Ireland? Land prices are rising relative to wages. So how do you and change all that? all the surplus has been skimmed off by a landowning, what I would call a drone class, who just live off rents. How you change it is you make land unattractive to hoard. So you tax it very, very heavily. You also introduce with developers this use it or lose it. If you have a track of land outside Dublin, for example, and it's been zoned residential, if you don't use that in two years, you lose it. And it goes back to agricultural and its price collapses. So you begin the process of accelerating building. You also change the planning laws so you allow people to build up in the city. What's preventing the government from doing that then? They are shit scared of the average person who lives in a house who will say, you know what, that sounds great, David. I'm with you. I get you. But I worked hard for this. And are you saying to me that I will have to vote for people who may introduce policies that will see my house fall from 300 grand to 250? Yeah. So the state has to come out and show a vision and say, look, yes, your house prices might fall and yes, your wealth might be affected. But look at what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create something for your kids. So what is happening in my generation, I look at my kids, I think, will they ever be able to live where I live? Around Dunleary. Yeah. And you and I are from here 50 years ago and we live more or less here. Yeah. And all our mates live more or less here. If you think of all our mates we go drinking with, they still live around this neck of the woods. But our kids ain't going to live here. Yeah. They'll never be able to afford it. But at the same time, though, if you're using that argument of we're, we're going to do it for your kids, but you've already done it for your kids insofar as you've bought your house and that's your asset, you're sitting on that, that's the bit that you're going to pass on. If you only have one child. Yeah. If you have four kids, which you have, John. Yes, I do. That wealth is split four ways. So they get a little bit of a big thing, which won't be enough to buy them anything. Yeah. And they live far away. So unless we decide to breed ourselves out of existence by having one kid per two parents, right? In which case it's fine. The wealth argument goes. Um, My sense is that what Brexit, and this is the point of the, the thinking behind it, is that Brexit is yet another reason for us to go back to land and fix it. Yeah. And take all those countries we spoke about. Denmark doesn't have a land problem. Massively populated in comparison to us. Holland doesn't have a land problem. Belgium. All these countries, it is affordable to live there. Now, all capital cities are having this dilemma. But the general sense is that housing isn't the issue. But how did they solve that? Did did they find themselves in the problem first and then solve it? Or was it? more in the DNA because you well, got to remember you know your parents and my mum uh, drilled it into us by the way uh, listener John and I it's kind of pathetic know each other for 50 years <laughs> well, 48 years we lived opposite each other on a very salubrious estate called Windsor Park in Monkstown about a, a mile away from here go on no but it was drilled into us that 
you know, you, you when you grow up, it was part of the growing up process that you go to school, you go to college, you you go yeah. off and do whatever. And then you buy a gaff. You buy a gaff. And that's what you're aiming for all the time. Once you bought yeah. a gaff, you, you and, have the milkstone you know, around your neck, but you have arrived. Do you as know? Well. And do you know the interesting thing? It's really new. Our grandparents rented. It's a really new thing. Did Our they? grandparents I, I no rented idea, their houses. Right? Renting was much more common in Vic- Victorian and Edwardian Ireland. Yeah. Than household because. The Fenians couldn't own anything anyway. So there was, a, there was an ethnic thing going on there. Yeah. But our grandparents rented. It was much more common to rent. Much, much more common to rent. And a lot of the, and of course, the problem with renting, then the reason I believe home ownership became such a security blanket for people, particularly the council house building, that's my academy, is because of the incredibly bad behaviour of landlords in slums in Dublin, who mm. actually gave people no tenure. So all your Sean O'Casey, all that stuff is all based on the slums of Dublin where the tenants were treated like animals. So when Fianna Fáil came in in the 30s, they said, we are going to provide you with good housing. And in a way, our state will make itself legitimate by building council houses, which yeah. is what they did yeah. in huge numbers. So there was a cultural shift from renting, which was bad, to owning, which was good. Now I think we're going to get a cultural shift from owning, which is impossible and consequently bad mm. for average people, back to renting. And that's what I think is going to happen. Which is really difficult right which now. It's difficult right now, but that's what we have to do. And the state has to go in. I was listening to the radio the other day about Vienna, which has fixed its housing problem because they created like very, very large cooperative housing financed by banks, a bit like our credit unions. We could do that. It's all doable. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Now, if you like our content and you want to support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. If you become a patron, you can unlock all sorts of interesting new content, interviews I'm going to be doing, ticket giveaways for those interviews, those conversations with really interesting people, experiences that you can't get anywhere else. And this will ensure that the podcast remains ad-free and you can get all of this stuff for the price of a pint. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando. And I'm Fer. And we host Niñas, Niñas Bien, Bien Podcast. We want to invite you to listen to our show. Niñas Bien means good girls in Spanish. But you have to know that this is not a podcast for good girls. Or for girls at all. It is a comedy podcast. So everyone is welcome to listen. We talk about sex, relationships, technology. We recommend movies and TV shows and discuss pop culture in general. And there is Chief Mejeno too. A section we have just to gossip about everyone. So you'll find something you like here. And you'll practice your Spanish. The cleanest Spanish you'll find, we promise. And if you already hablas español, vamos a ser tus nuevas amigas. We'll be your friends for the non-Spanish speakers. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Hosted by Acast and available to all audio platforms. El mejor 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.